So Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John deterred, tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then, and then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, enlightening on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written that he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this, all this I will give you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The word of the Lord. When I first moved to Ontario, over a decade ago, I've been here a while now, but when I first moved here, I learned a lot about my new home, this new land that I called home, by what people did with their weekends. I learned that cottaging was a thing, and it was also somehow a verb. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, we cottaged this weekend. I grew up on the shores of Lake Michigan. 
heading to the cottage for the weekend. I, I got, I'm like, yep, totally, okay. But what was new and completely foreign to me was portaging. <laughs> One, I had no idea what the word meant. I also sounded a little too French for me as an American. I had no idea what it meant. So people would say, oh yeah, last weekend, yeah, we portaged in Algonquin. Also had no idea what Algonquin was. <laughs> I assumed wrongly that it was some new form of glamping. <laughs> Maybe it was cottaging in port cities. I had no idea. I literally had no idea. And then someone explained it to me. To portage means you travel by canoeing into remote, otherwise inaccessible places of wilderness. And you carry your canoe. You portage. Not my thing. <laughs> Pushing into the utter unknown with only a canoe, with my ability to carry said canoe and also navigate it successfully through waters with a map that may or may not be helpful, sounded like a horrendous way to spend a weekend. So mad respect to those of you who do. Maybe you can win me over to your side, but I like to be on the edge of wilderness in a cozy Airbnb that is able to have a taxi or an Uber to a good restaurant and a hospital if I need it. Not in the middle of nowhere. Not my thing. The wilderness. Some of us seek it. Some of us stay away from it. The edge is more than enough. But this morning we follow Jesus into the wilderness. It is not the forested or river-veined wilderness of Algonquin or Muskoka. It's a desert wilderness of the Judean countryside. It is a rocky and sparse and treeless place full of heat and sun and very little else. We come to this particular passage of scripture of following Jesus into the wilderness because for Lent this year, we're actually following along um, a set collection of readings for Lent for each Sunday. There's a set collection that um, other Christians, other traditions, Lutherans and Methodists and Anglicans and a bunch of other Reformed folk follow. And in the set collection of readings, whenever you come to the first Sunday of Lent, you always come to Jesus in the wilderness. You always come to Jesus's temptation. And it, it kind of makes sense. We're beginning a season of Lent, which is typically where we set aside time to think about our own inclination to sin, our own inability to save ourselves. It's a, it's a season especially set aside for confession, uh, for repentance, for kind of that internal examination. So starting Lent, saying, you know, be mindful of where the tempter might be tempting you. Look into that a little bit over the course of this next season. It's not a bad way to begin. It's a good invitation. It's a good challenge. 
But while this story gives us this uh, showdown in the desert between the tempter and Jesus, the crafty one trying to see if Jesus in the wilderness is as easily manipulated as Eve and Adam were in the garden, given that big showdown, I found myself continually caught this week by how Jesus found himself in the wilderness in the first place. This is what Matthew tells us. After his baptism, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Not lured, not tricked, not a scheme of the tempter to get him vulnerable, but led by the Spirit. Led by the very same Spirit that had just made a glorious appearance in his baptism. On the banks of the Jordan River, Jesus left his hometown, left Galilee, and went in search of his cousin, John, who, last time we saw him, was an adorable baby, and now he was a locust-eating, hair-shirt-wearing country preacher out in the middle of nowhere on the edge of wilderness. And Jesus goes to his cousin to be baptized. And there in the Jordan, on the edge of the wilderness, the scrawny arms of a country preacher push Jesus down into the water and hoist him back up, soaked and baptized, and in that moment, the heavens are ripped open. The Spirit of God flutters down and alights on him like a dove. And the voice of the Father reverberates for all to hear that this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And then that same Spirit of God that so gently hovered and fluttered and alighted and descended in that moment of intimacy and belonging and affirmation leads him past the edge of the wilderness and into the heart of it. Jesus did not seek the wilderness he was led by the Spirit. Throughout Scripture, the wilderness, the desert, it's a place of struggle and conflict, of, of, of wandering, of being far from all that's familiar. And in most cases, throughout Scripture, the wilderness is not chosen or sought out. It's not a nice weekend away portaging. It's exile and isolation. It's being lost in the dark and not knowing your way home. It's, it's uncertainty of what's ahead and then it's being too far gone to know how to find your way back. It's the wilderness. And there are so many stories of wilderness in the lives of God's people. Throughout scripture, 
You read, and, and Abraham is in wilderness, and, and you start reading about Moses and Elijah, these leaders and these prophets, and God's people being lost in the wilderness for 40 years. But there's also stories of wilderness now for God's people. Places of uncertainty, of struggle, of not knowing where you're going, and certainly not knowing in what possible way you could get back. We, we don't often seek out wilderness moments in our lives. In fact, if you're like me, you tend to push away from the wilderness. You don't go there. But the wilderness seems to find us anyway. For some, we walk right past the edge of wilderness and into the loneliness of it all when we return to an empty house after finalizing that divorce or burying one that we love. And all of a sudden, we're at home, but what was familiar is no longer familiar, and we find that we're plunged into wilderness. For others of us, wilderness overtakes us when we're going to a routine doctor checkup, and they look up from their reports and say that, well, we've got a bit of a surprise here. The wilderness comes to us when we walk out of a church service and we get in the car and we have this sinking feeling that we don't believe this anymore. And all of a sudden, everything becomes untethered and unfamiliar and uncertain and scary. The wilderness finds us when depression comes to visit again. And we're back in that dark place again. For some of us, maybe, maybe we've been in this place of struggle and conflict and uncertainty for so long that it's just the place we live. We don't even look for what's ahead or what's behind because it just is. We don't seek out wilderness moments in our lives. But the wilderness seems to find us all the same. And we're pretty vulnerable in those moments, don't you think? When we're struggling, when we're, when we're wandering, when we're far from what's familiar, when we're far from what what we thought was so solid. When the tempter comes to Jesus, when he's in the wilderness, he's hungry, the tempter uses and twists the promises of God for each of the temptations. Our translation says, that if you are the son of God, temptation, temptation, temptation. But it's also true translation to say, since you are the son of God. Since you're the son of God, surely you can do the miraculous and turn these stones into bread. That's not that big of a deal. You can do it. You're the son of God. Or since you're the son of God, 
Surely he will protect you, his beloved son. What kind of father would he be if he let you fall? Prove that he's a good, a good father, that he loves you. Since you're the son of God, why don't you rule what is yours by right? Look at all these kingdoms. Look at all their splendor. It could be yours. Your job could be done right now. You know, just give me some of the credit. The, the tempter takes the promises of God given in Jesus' baptism, the words of love and belonging, and twists them just enough to warp them but still have them sound kind of pious. The tempter, our enemy, does the same with us in our wilderness moments. When we're struggling, when we feel lost, when we're in the wilderness, the tempter can come alongside us and say, you know, since you're a child of God, baptized and beloved, isn't it kind of unfair that God's letting this happen to you? Is that what a good father does? Or since you're a child of God, shouldn't God heal you right away, right now? Maybe you just don't have enough faith. Since you're a child of God, you can get out of that tight spot with your boss or your partner or your friend or, you know, just give a little lie because you're forgiven, right? You're sure that God will forgive you, so just, you know, just lie a little bit and get yourself out of it and then come to church and be absolved. You're good. What's the big deal? And when we're vulnerable, when we're in the wilderness, it is so much harder to tell the truth from the twist, from the half-truths. As I struggled this week with the idea of the Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness, I wrestled with what it means for us in our stories of wilderness. Does the Spirit lead us into it? And if so, how is that any kind of comfort? Between the Spirit's leading and the tempter coming to Jesus, Matthew gives us just this little one-line description of Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew tells us that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Now, many preachers, myself included, when I've preached on this passage in the past, have preached a sermon on how the fact that Jesus is hungry proves his humanity, his vulnerability, his identification with us in our own faces, in our own trials of temptation. How the tempter waits 
just until he's barely hanging on. And he swoops in for the attack. When he's most vulnerable. When he's hungry. But what if instead of being at his most vulnerable at that moment, the fasting actually strengthened Jesus for the encounter? Throughout scripture, fasting, this kind of fasting that's described here by Matthew, it's usually done ahead of or in response to an encounter with God. Moses on Mount Sinai, in receiving the Ten Commandments, before that happens, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah is the same way. So the prophet Elijah is coming out of a really brutal attack by Queen Jezebel, and he's wondering where God is, and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then, and then he sees God. Well, the back of God. It's a different story. And, and 40 always points us back to the rhythm in Scripture of the stories and the times when God leads his people and rescues them. Israel spent 40 years wandering in the desert in response to their disobedience, but also in a time of learning to trust who God is, of trusting that he would take care of them. They failed a lot most of the time, but it was still a learning. And there's 40 days and nights that the rain came down and Noah's family and, and the animals, the creatures, were kept safe by God in the ark, rescued and held. The fasting for 40 days and 40 nights didn't just make Jesus hungry, but maybe it fed his reliance on God's presence on God's promises, on God's spirit with him. Be because I always kind of went straight, whenever I encountered this passage before, I always went straight to the showdown between tempter and Jesus, right? This, this heavyweight boxing match in the wilderness. And it always kept me from noticing just what Jesus is doing. How the word made flesh, the son of God, used scripture and spiritual practice to stay connected with the spirit of God. Jesus fasted, which is a spiritual practice of your reliance, your dependence on God. And then Jesus quoted scripture, not relying on his own words until right at the very end. He uses scripture as a shield and a defense. And not because Jesus had a Bible app on his iPhone, he could look up a topical search for how to fight temptation and then quoted that at Satan. It's because Jesus had soaked up scripture into his very bones through prayer and practice. So that when the tempter began to twist God's promises and distort the truth, to distort and, and slander his relationship with the Father, Jesus could see the lies. He could tell the half-truths. Jesus continued to practice ways of staying connected with God, to God's presence, to his promises, to God's spirit with him, even in the wilderness. 
because I think Jesus knew that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness, but the Spirit never left him alone. I think that the greatest lie that the tempter whispers to us when we're in the wilderness, when we find ourselves in the dark, untethered from what we know, from what holds us down, the greatest lie the tempter sells us is that God has brought us to the edge of the wilderness and just kind of dumped us off to fend for ourselves. Put us in a canoe and pushed us off and said, see you later. I hope you make it. Leaving us to navigate on our own. Dangers and all. Unprotected and isolated. But that's a lie. That is an absolute lie. Our baptism may not happen on the banks of the Jordan with a hairy-shirted preacher plunging us under the water. But our baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit comes with the same words of promise and belonging and intimacy. That you are my child whom I love. And with you, with you I am well pleased. Because in Jesus, God claims us as his own. We are a beloved child. We are not abandoned. We are not forsaken. We are not left alone. That's the truth. The tempter wanted Jesus to pick an easier path than following and trusting his father. The tempter wanted to throw Jesus off the course that would lead him towards the cross and lead him towards our salvation. The tempter wanted Jesus to lose faith in his father, to lose faith in the one that led him into the wilderness. But Jesus saw the lies for what they were, the mistruths and the falsehoods, and he remained faithful, he remained true, and he held on to the promises of his father and he chose to continue towards the cross, going deeper into the wilderness for us. On the night before the cross, Jesus had his disciples with him, and Jesus told them about the spirit that was to come, that would be theirs because of what Jesus was about to do. This is what Jesus said. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept the spirit because it neither knows the spirit nor sees it, but you know this spirit, for he lives with you and will be with you, for I will not leave you orphaned.
Jesus knows the wilderness. He's no stranger to it. He knows the difficulty and the pain and the conflict and all the ways that lead us to doubt who God is for us. Jesus knows all the ways that the tempter will try to get us to lose faith, to break trust. And so we're given the Spirit, this advocate, the Spirit of truth to help us and to lead us, help us in discerning lies from truth, even twisted, pious talk, to remind us in those moments of wilderness that we are not orphaned and we are not alone. The spirit of truth leads us into the wilderness, but does not abandon us on the edge of it. As we begin the season of Lent, wherever you might be, maybe wilderness is familiar to you, maybe you're in a sweet spot and you just come out of it and you're like, oh, I know who God is and who I am. That's not my problem, Pastor Amanda. Maybe you're in a place of doubt. Maybe you're in a place of wilderness. But wherever you are as we begin this season of Lent, may you trust the love of our Father who claims us as his own because of the faithfulness of Jesus who went into the wilderness for us. And may you know the presence of the Spirit of truth with you never forsaking you, helping you discern the truth, leading you into the wilderness, but also leading you beyond. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Our faithful Father, Help us to sense the presence of your spirit with us in the moments where we doubt that you are faithful to us. Help us to trust our Lord and Savior Jesus who knows the wilderness, who went to the cross, who is so, so very human like us, that we're not alone, that we may be vulnerable, but you are our strength. You are what is solid. And we can trust you. Help us in our moments of weakness and doubt. Carry us when we can't walk. And lead us through the wilderness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.